you annoyed by broadcasters calling for baseball to be played the right way when you really just want to hear Sean do little Star Wars rankings? Do you hate that your owner traded away your favorite player just months after you bought their jersey? I actually just bought their jersey. I, I don't understand your jersey thing. Just buy the jersey. But anyway, let's move on. Do you love your local minor league team but hate the way that owners are slashing it for profit? Do you wonder aloud if Rob Manfred has ever even watched a baseball game? Well, we've been searching for that answer right here every week for the last four years. We're talking you through all of that. Plus, the never-ending joke about the diversification of Ross Stripling's stock portfolio over at Tipping Pitches. Available on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping Pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya! Citation Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of For All You Kids Out There, a Mets Adjacent Baseball Perspectives Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week, because Jared, okay, Jared had to have a minor medical procedure moved up, so he is not able to record. He is fine. He is G-chatting me about his ridiculously <laughs> complicated fantasy league first-year player draft. He'll be back next week. But this week, for episode 270, we are joined once again from Mason Avenue. It's Thomas Henderson. Thomas, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I found out that Dom Smith is a Leeds fan now, and I don't know how to feel uh, about that. <laughs> I mean, of all the teams, Dom, mm. you choose them. <laughs> so I guess there's some uh, Rock Nation. Jay-Z's yeah. agency has entered some sort of like cross-marketing platform deal with Leeds United. I just want Dom Smith to show up at Football Factory for a New York Whites event. <laughs> <laughs> i want him to get really into it like yeah. tweeting like waking up at like 7 a.m on saturday and tweeting yeah. about it type stuff like really breaking down wanting. like Beelz's tactics and things yeah <laughs> he's like you gotta whip that cross in and stuff yeah. just like just live tweeting games like he's a fan would be great it is kind of interesting in so much that like usually when this kind of stuff happens like daniel murphy dragged curtis grandison and matt harvey over to <laughs> white Hart lane for a Spurs game yeah. a couple of years ago. And like you see this, like this sort of cross pollination with uh high like level athletes going to other things that high level athletes do. Like I think Neymar threw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium at some point. Yeah. So that's like that one. It's just funny because it's fucking leads. Like <laughs> Yeah, of all the, the like newly promoted leads, like <laughs> it took them forever to get back to the Premier League and now yeah. they're like growing a fan i mean because the weird thing about them is they're popular mm. despite their because they're a historically popular team yes. so like like they have a bigger fan base than most non-premier league teams anyway so i understand why they want to keep growing and they'll probably yeah. they're going to stay up and it's their first probably... chance to really outreach to yeah. an american market too exactly because otherwise unless you're like unless you're like you and watching the champions <laughs> like league one <laughs> next year man <laughs> Well, perhaps, but like um, most fans are not here or not watching that level. Mm -hmm. So they actually could expand now and they would because they're popular enough, like in terms of history. I mean, just look at what Leicester, I mean, Leicester literally won the Premier League. So they <laughs> yeah. certainly helped. But, you know, another yeah. team that's not been, yeah, it doesn't even certainly have the historical footprint that Leeds did. You know, Leeds is only 25 years removed from winning the Premier League at this point. Yeah. Um, but we're able to, you know, as the audience for 
British soccer expanded in the U.S., I think, sort of capture some of that market. No, oh, yeah, for sure. It's a smart business idea for both yeah. sides. It's just funny. It is funny. Is... Like, and also, it wasn't even the home uniform, I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't actually know what their change strip I looks like this year, but it's like some, like... I think it's their alternate. Yeah, yeah it was like some weird, like, like green kit. And said, so like, what is this? Like, just <laughs> give them a regular Elite's kit. All right, this is episode 270 for all you kids out there. In the second half of the show, we will be joined by Lucas Postelaris, the baseball prospectus, to talk about the Mets 2021 starting rotation. In the first half of the show, uh, we're a couple weeks into spring training now. I had that moment, Thomas, where it finally is like, I am done with spring training. And it was Marcus oh, Stroman's yeah. third start this week, and they like, or third start this spring, uh, earlier this week. And they posted a lineup that included Brandon Drury at first base. Just like, oh, yeah, we're done. We're done here. Come come we see me April 1st. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm, I am, I am watching, uh, I do have I'm the. Yeah, I have the Mets Cardinals game on in the background, which has been a fairly entertaining game, all in all. Just had a I'm twenty-three pitch at that. Gift banging mm. on the on the table with a watch. Mm. That's me with waiting for the first for opening day. Like, come on, we could hurry up now. But let's talk about some spring training impressions, and we'll use this to weave in some of the news of last week as well. Uh, I don't feel like there's been any outside of Luis Gormes Gormes twenty-three pitch at bat and good defense, <laughs> which you know, obviously, if you've watched any Luis Guillerme for the eight, nine years since he's been drafted, you know that he has probably among the best hands in baseball. I mean, it's oh. been a running joke on the show, the uh, Andrelton Simmons minus a grade of arm thing, but like he's really <laughs> that good a defender. And yes, oh, I did hit Brandon Nemo on the hand. Okay. I thought he was like, uh... he got the, gl- he got the thing on he it. Got the little the pad. Pad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, like, so they, I guess we'll start here. We'll get to the prospect slugs. I think that's where the interesting thing is because there's not really a lot of roster spots in play. There's yeah. a lot of like relievers pitching themselves out of roster spots, <laughs> like watching like More Jacob so Barnes and Sam Jacob Barnes and Sam McWilliams has not been a yeah particularly fun experience. Sam McWilliams showing why the Rays were not very uninterested in bringing him back. So yeah, far. I just I don't know how he ever has enough command with that delivery. Like it's not even tall and fall. Nope. It's just tall and tall yeah i don't know he he basically looks like he just throws the ball and mm. doesn't know like i pitchers choose their spots obviously i don't feel like he's doing that i feel like he's just throwing the ball and hoping yeah, yeah. it goes in the direct and it's going in the in the direction of the catcher but it's not strikes <laughs> it hasn't yeah. been so far <laughs> so he he has stuff like i think the yeah, stuff yeah no is... like the slide and he's got some feel for the breaking ball too it's like certainly better than the fastball and again it's march you don't like i if he, sure. I wouldn't be shocked to be sorted out at the alternate slight AAA and comes up in June and is a good reliever. But sure, yeah, I don't know. Like, and they can obviously play that game too. But they do have to fill the, like the back end of that bullpen with people that can get major league outs. And mm-hmm. so far, has it's not rough, uh, has not looked great. It's been rough for sure. It's just. I don't want to say it's predi- it's it was predictable. Honestly, I do want to say it's predictable because. <laughs> yeah. They didn't really sign any. Like they signed Trevor May, who's going to be good because yeah. he's a good pitcher. Once Lugo got yeah, hurt, it kind of like exposed the seams a little more too. Because when he's there and you have May and Diaz in the eighth and ninth, you can you have that flexibility to yeah. use him in higher leverage middle inning spots. And it pushes everyone down a peg, obviously. Right, yeah. Like like Familia doesn't have to pitch the seventh, like he yeah. probably is going to right now in most games. So like. He I'm has very been surprised. just like so unpleasant to watch. <laughs> I know, yeah. it's, 
And it's and like, Batanza's it's still 97. Like, at least he's still throwing hard. Batanzas isn't even doing that. Yeah. And it's just like, I cannot believe I am watching this guy. I'm more worried again. about Batanzas than I am sure. Familia. Like, I think, Familia I think they're more willing to cut bait with Batanzas than they would be with Familia, though. Well, yeah, for sure. And I'm just surprised that they didn't sign someone else um, after Lugo got hurt. Just yeah. the pure need of it. Like, like bring in Shane Green still hasn't signed anywhere. Yeah, I know. Just like, like he Green. would definitely fit. They, they can fill, like, they can actually DFA Pat Mazeka to clear the 40 van spot. And that's true now because they hung Caleb Joseph. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about that or not, but whatever, it's Caleb Joseph. <laughs> He's fine. Um, but, um, to bring it back, the interesting thing to me for this broadcast in the open, granted, it was like Gary Apple, Todd Zeal, <laughs> and Ron Darling, is they. I, I don't know if they're just pulling this for something to talk about in the open, but like implying the Mets should probably do a Luis Yorme, JD Davis platoon, whether that's at third base specifically or at like Yorme plays second on the days where yeah they're sitting Davis and McNeil plays third, and you can obviously rotate VR in there as well as needed if you want to stick McNeil in a corner outfield spot because like McNeil really should be the guy in that group that's you're getting like i'm not saying don't sit him because he hasn't been the most durable guy but you want to target like 140 to 150 games yeah he should he should be playing almost every you want to give him a day off day off a week that's fine but yeah and honestly you could just stick him i wouldn't mind if they just stick him at second for 150 games and call it a day like unless injuries happen then you have to move him out there to the outfield and stuff but honestly like i think jd davis has the most fragile spot on i don't I think that's pretty obvious that he does, that mm-hmm. he has the most fragile spot on the roster in terms of starting. I don't think they'd cut him or anything, and I don't think they should, but... Which I is funny, because he's like... In, in a up. weird way, he seems like the most Sandy Alderson-type player on that squad. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but, um... And Sandy seems to, like, dislike him. Like, yeah. he, every single thing he said would be like, these are our players, and J.D. Davis is our third baseman now. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, oh, that's not a vote of confidence. And they didn't do anything about it. Um, so I guess that's a, a better sign than him saying whatever he said to the media. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if VR or Guillaume or a combination of the two take a lot of at-bats from him. Just against righties and for defensive purposes because he, I don't, he's just not really going to ever be a good enough third baseman, I think, to be an everyday player outside of being a DH or something. All right, let's talk about the prospects then, since the Mets don't have a lot of them. Therefore, they gave gave them a lot of spring training time. Yes. I mean, not Matt Allen. Matt Allen got one appearance on a non-televised game and then sent to the... Yeah, he got uh, reassigned. Whatever the... What is it? E-Space? Whatever the Doctor Who reference I'm trying to come up with is. (laughs) uh, The minor league side of Chaopia. That doesn't actually exist, but I, I suspect you'll still see him at... They'll pull him I'm, back for a primetime SNY game, probably at some oh, point. Oh, sure. I mean, I saw Pete Armstrong in the dugout in this game. So. Yeah, yeah, they're still around. So, and they'll get pulled as needed. To though, oh, we're getting to the point where the starters are going to play. You know, closer to six or seven innings and three or four. Yeah. But this was our either our first look at Pete Armstrong specifically, or our first look in a year plus at a lot of these guys, and some of them have changed. Specifically, Ronnie Mauricio. Oh, God, yes. He's uh, a giant human now. <laughs> yeah, I said this on... Uh, I said this with Craig. Did I say this on Five and Dive? I might have said this on Five and Dive. 
Um, no, it was, it was last week. But he's like, yeah, he has like he always had like the dumpy, but he's just like grown around oh, the dumpy yes. now. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, and I was again. You don't want to read too much into spring training performance. And I'm running a column about this at BP. But this is like the first time you've seen these. It's, it's like 18 months since we've had like meaningful Ronnie Mauricio. He had one at bat in the Dominican Winter League this year. <laughs> like you just don't know what to expect. And yeah, also going into spring training. He's really just working. This is practice. We're talking about practice. So I tr- like I never try to read evaluation stuff into spring training, but having not seen these guys in eighteen months, you want to kind of like try to get a feel. Yeah, it's and it's, it's nice still, that it's Florida, not Arizona, where like every fly ball in Arizona just goes out of the park, basically. Yeah. It's still beneficial for us yeah. as missing these guys for so long, and as we'll talk about with PCA later, never seeing them mm-hmm. at all. That like this is this is the first step of our seeing them through the minors this year. So yeah, it's kind of building. At least for me, it's building a little bit of a basis yeah. of like what I'll be looking for as I watch them during the season. And like my so, first impression of Mauricio is he's a dude like oh god he's not gonna be able to play shortstop, which you kind of already suspected already. But it was also a guy that yeah. like, he had like that awkward like junior year growth spurt and was like kind of like physically figuring out how to swing the bat now that he's like six foot three and 220 pounds or whatever he's yeah he's a his actual listed height and weight is but actually over the first couple weeks of spring training you could see like the natural field to hit is still there yes like he and like the actual feel in the infield is still there so i'm at least more confident he's going to be a third baseman than a right fielder which is good I do wonder, nice and I air him with Lindor yeah. for the rest of his career. But I had a conversation <laughs> with the scout about this. It's been on Met Spring training coverage, and his thing was like, he's got good raw, but what happens when they try to get him to tap into it more? And I do wonder, like a little swing and missy. Yeah. I can see it happening. Um, so this will be an interesting year. I don't know where I'd start him. I'm terrible at predicting this in normal years. Like I would probably just start him in Brooklyn. And that's what I would do. That's what I would do. I, I would just start all these guys in Brooklyn, and like in a month, you'll know who's too good for that level, and you can let a lot of these guys set their own timetable. I started. Mm-hmm. I, I said I'd take the. I started Alvarez in in Port St. Lucie, but yeah, anybody yeah, else I'd start sure. in that we're going to discuss. I would start in advanced day. You could start him at short and and Beatty at third and Vientos at first in Brooklyn and. <laughs> Yeah, well, the other thing, so on Beatty and Vientos, like, Vientos is playing first in spring training, but, like, functionally, you can still find three days a week for him at third base oh, in sure. Brooklyn. Between... I think that's just more to get his bat in the lineup when all yeah, three, yeah. Of, if they all go to the same level, like, it doesn't really matter if he's playing first or third, you know? Like, you wanted to see him hit every day. Yeah, and the, nat- the, the actual nature of this sort of minor league schedule where it's six days on, one day off, is you're going you're gonna to play all these guys five out of six days. Yeah. So they're going to have a scheduled day off where you can play Beatty or you can play Vientos at third over Beatty. Beatty is going to DH a day. Like you yeah. can find a way to get Vientos three days a week at third base. I mean, he's fine on a third baseman long term. Also, Beatty probably is in a third baseman long term. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what we're doing here, but you've got time to figure this all out. Um, Beatty, man, I don't. I like his swing. I don't like his swing. So, so that's interesting because I actually do. But it's, I don't know if he could do anything else. Right. So. <laughs> it's like, I like I get it. Like, I get why he got drafted off that swing, but it's also, like, very rappy and uppercut. He's got enough it's bat speed. It's, it's very, very, like, it's, the bat path is not great. The 
wrap is not great. Like these are fixable things. And he almost has enough bat speed where you can talk yourself into it. And he had some decent at bats in there too. I just wonder, like he's not super pull happy, but I don't know if that's because he's not pull happy. It's because he can't get the bat through the zone fast enough to pull balls on the outer half. So I, I, I'm interested in him because of the fact that I think you could fix that stuff. Hmm. And I think if you can, there's something interesting there with him. Obviously, I hope he could play third base, but I don't know if that's going to happen. And um, he looks really like he's in better around. shape this year. It's like yes. everything looks a little slimmer and a little more athletic than sort of post draft stuff. Yes, for sure, I agree with that 100. percent And it's like I really want them to even out that uppercut because he's going to hit balls low in the zone, but then you're just going to pump fastballs at him high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he's just going to swing underneath them. And mm-hmm. hopefully, like, like Nimmo has a bit of an uppercut, but it's not that pronounced. And he has the eye to lay off everything that's right. not a strike. So he dares you to throw low in the zone. So he really needs to either do one of those two things. And I hope they could even it out. And obviously, I mean, I want to say he's young, but he's also kind of not young. He's because not that of his, young, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, because of, of his high school situation. But um, mm. he's young in terms of, like, the system, I guess. But yeah. I don't know. He's... He's a weird one because I feel like he gets forgotten about a little bit because it's the Matt Allen uh, draft, and right. rightfully so. Like, Matt Allen might be number two in the system, number one in Man, the system. Man, I, so, he's only, again, only one outing. Yes. Like, the report I got was just, like, electric stuff. I mean, I thought he was good in Brooklyn in the playoffs yeah. in 2019, and even good before that, like, and look, it's He's, tough with the prep righty profile to, like, if you told me in an alternate universe he had a full season last year and, like, I go, well, I guess it would have been Columbia and yeah, St. Lucie, and he was, like, a top 50, maybe even higher than that, like a Grayson Rodriguez level prospect, I'd be like, yeah, sure. It didn't mm-hmm. happen, so. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know I, got, I got the track man pronounced. They looked very good. Like, I just don't know. Like, it's fine. Like, we're going to adjust as needed. Like, I, I will ex- expect him to be on the midseason 50 this year, probably, assuming normal health and everything else. He's another guy that looks like he's in better shape, and the delivery from the limited video I've seen looks a little more athletic than what it was in the past. So, he's just, he's interesting because I feel like even coming out immediately, he was a little more advanced than most prep guys. Yeah. Like, with the pitches, like, he has. The changeup is already there, and he has a really good curveball, and the fastball's there. So, like, he just might be good, <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. like it, uh, like they did a really that was a really smart draft thing Brody did, which is one of the only things that I he did that I liked was his drafts. Uh, you was, forgot Marisnik solid. Oh yeah, okay, but um, <laughs> I forgot about that. But um, Allen is one of those dudes who could fly up the system. I could, I yeah. think. Um, like I, they're not going to do this, but like, I wouldn't be shocked. Like if you told me he was getting major league outs in September, like I would not be shocked. I wouldn't be either. As a bullpen guy. As like a, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they should do that, but I, I mean, things would have to hit the fan real bad. Right. If he's, but I, I, if he's you getting think about out. it, if let's say he goes to Brooklyn as a good month or two there, you move him to Binghamton. He has a good mm-hmm. month there. Like, you can move them up again. You could. Just, like, he, just there, there's no reason. They have enough starting. The nice thing is they have enough pitching depth, they probably don't have to do that. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, if he, if he is on, like, the David Price track, 
which is yeah. weird to say because like you know price and they did that well they did that with matt moore who was a prep pick but had more minor league time under his belt than yeah alan did when when they did that with him i like i wouldn't be shocked and given the state of this bullpen like maybe <laughs> maybe you want him on the playoff roster as like a middle reliever and like also on top of that it's the state of the starting rotation next year with right so that's the other we'll thing, talk yeah. about in the preview yeah. um they with, got a lot of guys uh, under contract yeah you could kind of squint and see him competing for a spot next year sure. kind of out of spring and even and, if it's not immediate he might be someone you call up in a month or two or yeah uh, if you want to um either delay him or if they really get enough depth in the off season to um to keep him down and there's but, this um, idea too that like you don't want to do that like but you you don't want to start his clock early or or, or whatever and 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 whatnot but with these young prep arms or young pitching prospects in general, if you think they're ready to get major league outs, like you don't know if they're going to be healthy in four years, basically. Yeah, like, so just get it while you can get it. Yeah, like the the last thing you want is him to get Tommy John surgery in two years when you're yeah. waiting for his clock to be like, yeah. you know, like just it's not worth it. And um, if the Mets are really serious about the whole three to five year window thing, then his his last arb year doesn't matter because you're trying to win now anyway. I'm not reading too much into this because of the nature of last season and the fact that neither of them have any real professional track record, but uh, Francisco Alvarez and PCA did not exactly look ready for prime time. No, um, PCA, his triple was a nice swing. Yeah, it's and... a nice, I mean, he's, like, it's, nice, it's a nice swing, but yeah, he did not quite look ready for no, he's... double A, even quality stuff. Yeah, Which is fine. Yeah, um, it's fine. I'm, I, it's, I, I'm the high person at Amazing Avenue on, on PCA by... I think by a significant margin, and um, sure. I even picked them to draft him, like the Mets to draft him, like two months before they did. So, thanks for listening. But um, <laughs> like I, I like every he's he's someone who has such a high floor to me because of mm-hmm. the speed and the defense that I don't think he needs to hit a ton to be like a quality player. Um, the power is his issue because I think he'll hit line drives and hit singles. There but, was um, that one at bat, like he got like a hanging curve, and it just and didn't like, go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely shit on it and i actually put it's like 96 mile an hour exit velocity and he has hit balls higher than that like it's not there's not no raw power there but he thought it was going out and i'm like buddy he went to the warning track and you're like that's and that's the concern with him and that's that was the big that's why he wasn't like a top five pick because Uh if he hit that out then he would have been gone way before the mets pick but um he's just he's interesting to me because of the the profile of the speed and the defense being plus and it's plus speed and plus defense And um, if he just hits a little bit, he'll be you. You have a major league career there, you know. Thomas, is it good when the last uh, stats you're putting on a pitcher, putting up on a pitcher on a broadcast, is four innings from the 2019 season? <laughs> Was that um? It's a rod. It's this guy now. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the game now. Who apparently looks pretty good at from what I've yeah. Under- I think this is is this his first major league side? I know he's been throwing a. Uh... Inside session. I haven't the first seen him. minor league game he's gotten or first uh, spring training game he's gotten into or not. I haven't seen him yet, but um, that would be nice if he remembers that he's good. Mm. He was good. Uh, the other Mets news of the week coming out of spring training is uh, Carlos Carrasco has some elbow soreness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he threw from seventy-five feet, might get into something like a sim game or live BP. Says he's still going to be ready for opening day, though. Or at least the opening I, day rotation. I don't know how. Um, um, 
I mean, it's, it's more fine. About it's fine if he's not is the other thing. Oh, like, yeah. They don't need a yeah. fifth starter for a couple. They don't have to rush this. Um, we'll get into him more in the next segment, but I'm not. So I guess what? Where? how worried are you about Carlos Carrasco for uh, 2021 so, at large? So can you <laughs> – I want to answer this in like two days after he throws again. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because like – like he just hasn't done anything yet. And mm-hmm. he says that it's normal for his arm to hurt. And that doesn't sound like it should be normal. But <laughs> if it's, if he's like, he's like in his mid thirties now. And if it's hurt like that all the time in spring and he's the only time he's missed time is when he had cancer. Yeah. It's not like, it, it, it's not like he's been an off injured pitcher in terms of baseball injuries. So yeah. if this is actually what happens, then I guess it's fine. It's just, it sucks because it was the delayed entry with the COVID stuff because I think his he said in his first interview that like his doctors wanted him to get extra testing and stuff and he got vaccinated and all that. And then his and, arm hurt after the vaccination. Which I mean, I, yeah. I got my second shot and I was down and out. So I don't, yes, I understand. But um, I don't know. It's just weird. Like today, he said, today is being Sunday, is he threw like from 75 feet and then mm-hmm. tomorrow he's going to throw from 90 and 120 and then he's going to throw some bullpens. And it's like, well, okay. I don't know how you're going to be ready for opening day when it's... Well, some of these guys, I feel like they can ramp up quicker than they do over the course of spring, yeah, especially the veterans. I don't know. Like, I, I'm i not particularly inclined to make a decision on that until you, ha- until you need a fifth starter. Oh, for sure. And it's yeah. not a big deal if he mm-hmm. doesn't start the season as the fifth starter or whatever, if they cobble it together for a mm-hmm. week or two. Yeah. Like, they actually I'd have the depth I, to do that. It's not going to be Corey Oswalt. Exactly. It's going to be actual people who've had major league experience who are like not bad. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, they like have six the, innings pitched and three runs allowed. Yeah. And that's fine with this op. What this offense should be because this offense should be quite good. Yeah. So honestly, just have him right for the most of the season, and I'm fine if he misses a starter too early. It's just um, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he's able to go from just long tossing to ramping up and being in the bullpen and, and being in the rotation, I mean, and just going. So I will say that generally the rest of the team has looked about how you'd expect. Jacob deGrom is throwing 100. Jeff McNair sure. is dropping F-bombs every time he lines <laughs> out. Um, you know, Conforto's look good. Dom Smith's look good. Nemo's look good. Conforto's like had a good game today. Brandon Nemo. Um, Lindor looks like he's getting into it a little bit. He's yeah. had a slow start, but I'm not worried about that at all. The defense has certainly been there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's wearing like the full-on Walker Bueller pants today, which is an interesting oh, yes. choice. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, it's not, I should say it's like it's not the full-on Walker Bueller pants. It's like ninety percent of the Walker Bueller pants. Only Walker Bueller <laughs> does the uh, the full Walker Bueller pants. I can't imagine that's comfortable. Yeah, I don't know how anyone plays like that, but I I do want to note. I don't know how much you read into this, but Pete Alonso seems to be back more towards his twenty nineteen swing. Mm-hmm. Yes, it looks like more like 2019 Pete. And, um, and he certainly hit some big bombs, but he's also like hit some line drives into the gap and not like. Yeah, yeah. that's really it for me with him. Mm-hmm. Um, the big bombs are going to be there no matter what, I think, um, just because he's just a big boy and he's going to yes. hit big homers. But he hit a double a few games ago that was like a 2019 double where like he just like flicked his wrist and it was right into the opposite field gap and he just smoked it. It was like, it was smoked. Just right up to the wall. And that's the type of stuff that he's going to have to do if he's going to regain his rookie form, I guess. Because as bad as he looked last year, he was still an above-average hitter. It was just ugly. (laughs) 
And I think that's just what it's going to be with him. Like, he's not going to be the most graceful player. Like, his outs going to look, or his strikeouts going to look really bad sometimes. And just, he's just going to hit the ball hard and hit the ball in the gaps and hit home runs, and he'll be fine. But I'm not too worried about Pete. And also, they have Dom if Pete is somehow Ike Davising himself, which is, I don't think is going to happen. Well, Pete is just living his life day to day now in the real world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after deleting his never used yeah. Twitter. God bless him. I wish we could all log off, but none of us. Well, most of us can't. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Lucas Fostelaris to talk about the 2021 New York Mets starting rotation. We move on the New York Mets starting pitching as part of our 2021 positional previews. And joining us from Baseball Prospectus, the I'm going to call you the stats team pitching guru. I don't know how you feel about that. I'll take it. (laughs) It's Lucas Apostolaris. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you guys? Good. So I feel like there's only one place to start here. And he's kind of boring to talk about because he's just simply the best pitcher in baseball. And there's no real need to do a deep dive on how Jacob deGrom gets guys out because you can just watch Jacob deGrom. And it's like, oh, it's an 80 fastball and an 80 slider and like two other plus pitches and 80 command. But I guess the better question, Lucas, is how long can he keep this up? Like, I honestly have no clue. I mean, this is just pretty, as far as I know, it's like, I mean, no one really does this. I mean, I mean, who's like still gaining velocity at how old is he now? 30, 32, I think. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, he just, what was it the other day? He was throwing like 100, 100, 100 or something like that. Stopped like, out at 102. Okay. Like what? Like, I mean, I don't think, I have no clue. I mean, like he's just a freak in the first place. So like, I don't really know who to compare him to. I mean, right. I think just, that's the thing when you get to like, like an extreme, I mean, he's not only an extreme outlier just by virtue of being the best pitcher in baseball. He's an extreme outlier in how he got there. So exactly, you exactly. don't like. There's no, there's no like outline to trace here, really. Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of ridiculous in so many ways. And the other thing too about him that, like, when I watch him pitch, like, obviously, you know, you can tell like the you know it's throwing so hard these days, especially and like, you know, I, nothing like moves like a crazy amount. Like when you watch him pitch, it's not like you're watching some like video game pitcher or something. It's just that he has, like, incredible precision, too, which is kind of rare. Um, You know, his command is ridiculous. And that's also something that, I don't know, I mean, that's just, like, part of his skill set. I don't don't really see, you know, he's still obviously in his prime. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm, like, at a loss for words about what to say because, like, he's just so unusual in his, you know, the way that he's just gotten... I mean, he's becoming a pitcher still. I kind of feel like he's still becoming a pitcher, right? I mean, he started super late, and he's still just, like, figuring out how to be the best at what he does. It's not really an in-depth answer or anything super interesting, but it's like, that's kind of how it feels with him. It's like, he just kind of just does everything well, and he's just getting better, and it's just a strange time in his career to be doing that, but he is, so... You know, well, he's an incredibly like boring person too. I think is the other part of it. Like he has no interest in engaging the media. Like he's not going to invite Tim Healy out to his ranch for a five thousand word long long read <laughs> in the off season at the Athletic. Right. Felt like what right. he does. Like the two things right. I think Mets fans know about him is that one tweet about going to the Outback 
the steakhouse. Wait, okay, Australia. okay. What, what, what was that one? You got to remind me. <laughs> he had one. like a Twitter account when he first came up, and then like he never used it. But he has one tweet about like how much he liked going to the Outback with like his I don't know if it was his wife at the time or his fiance. It was his parents. Yeah, it was it his was parents. Oh. Her parents. Wow, was, like, had a great steak dinner at Outback with my parents or yeah. something. And it had like 5,000 retweets because yeah. all of us. Oh, wow. How did I miss that? That's, it's like, that's the, it's like the old wow, San Diego it. Chargers, like P.F. Chang's tweet, basically. <laughs> for whoever okay. the like, social media guy just like so converted he, so his he account likes... to the Chargers one. <laughs> so he likes Outback. Okay, He likes Outback. Um, and there's that one story of like the year before he came up. I think it was actually it might have been 2014. It might have been that spring training. Um he had to pitch in spring training with a uh, soft cast on his non-pitching hand because he broke his like left wrist or like had like a soft fracture when he got kicked by a bull that he was helping his friend castrate on his farm. Okay, I did not know that either. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that was I, like that's, before he I became mean, a thing. But yeah, that's pretty. It's funny. Like you mentioned, twenty fourteen. Like sometimes when you know, I think of Jacob Degrom. I literally, I think of that game. He started in, uh, I guess, what was his major league debut? So it was against the Yankees. Yeah. And it was Chase Whitley, I think. And it was yeah, both yeah. of them making their major league debuts. And I remember watching that game and I was like, I don't, like, I knew about Chase Whitley because, you know, I followed the Yankees. and But I didn't really know anything about DeGrom. And I just remembered, like, that year I was like, huh, this DeGrom guy is, like, pretty good. And then, like, you know, <laughs> every year it just, you know, became more good. So I just think back to that start, like, how unassuming everything was at that point with him but i guess he was literally like a similar prospect to chase whitley when they both yeah that's the thing like that's like how i thought of it in my head is like oh these guys that i you know know maybe something about but you know i wasn't like i was tuning in to watch them pitch specifically but you know it's just pretty crazy when did he remind me when did he convert to uh pitching it was pretty late it was his sophomore year at stetson i think i think he did one year there as a full-time shortstop and then like converted over his sophomore year and that was a full-time pitcher his junior okay. year right and then like a lot of position player converts immediately had tommy john surgery after getting drafted mm-hmm. so right. he didn't yeah like, so it's he popped up yeah. in 2012 in savannah as like i didn't actually see him that year but uh, i'm good friends with toby hyde who was who wrote for sny at the time was also the savannah broadcaster he's like yeah it's like it's like it's an athletic convert like he's got some feel for the breaking ball it's like up to 95 good frame (laughs) up to 95 yeah (laughs) yeah 2014 we had him in like 94 you know 94 95 like he won rookie of the year like if he had just stayed that dude like a high twos era was like 95 ish with a bunch of good secondaries and good command be like okay fine and then he just like it's just crazy. I mean, everyone's gaining velocity now, but yeah. like this isn't. I mean, like we're just looking at these numbers now. Like average ninety nine <laughs> last year. <laughs> like that's stupid. It's not like that's not even like. No, you know, yes. Uh, last like, year, like I know they year, they like mucked with crazy. his. I don't want to say mucked, but they. I know they've tweaked his like stride length and some stuff in his mechanics on occasion. But he basically mm-hmm. looks like the delivery doesn't look radically different he hasn't done like the short arm circle he hasn't done like the sort of right modern right. pitching development changes to yeah he doesn't bring more out of it. He's, thing. he's just sort of the same dude and just it just keeps working like i don't it would shock me if he's like going to a warehouse in northern florida and like hooking himself up <laughs> to rap soto machines and like, he's like probably just going to outback with the family <laughs> oh yeah definitely definitely outback yeah and, like, it's he, crazy he threw I... to, like pat Mazzeca. he like throws to pat Mazeka who lives down there who's like a 
their fourth catcher right now. Like that's just what he does, and that's it. And it's it's weird. It's almost. I mean, this kind of is a is a cheat and not fair to Grom because I'm sure he actually like works really hard at his game. We just don't have access to that. But it's very much sort of like you know Brendan Fraser and the rookie kind of shit. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I Honestly, I don't know what else to say about him. It's just yeah, like there's nothing interesting he's just to say. He'll... So, there's literally nothing to say. I mean, he's just so good and I I'd be lying if I said like, "Oh yeah, he's going to decline here or I have no clue." I mean, like he's just so unusual that I'm just enjoying it, <laughs> you know. I I don't have particularly anything interesting to say beyond that. I mean, we all kind of know what he does. I mean, he just is just getting better at everything <laughs> all the time. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, he really needs no introduction on this podcast. So maybe let's move on to some of the about Mets pitchers. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> Carlos Carrasco. Ooh, Carlos Carrasco is. I mean, he's he's not super hurt. I guess like I, he says <laughs> yeah. he's okay, right? Like he says <laughs> he's, he's gonna okay, be ready for opening hopefully. day. I mean, my question is, as someone that was familiar with him as a like a Phillies prospect, and oh man, that's a throwback. Did dude. not watch a ton of like he was always seemed to be like a safe mid-rotation starter type even as a prospect but he's kind of developed into something better than that and if you look just at the general like pitch type characteristic like it's a good fastball it's a good breaking ball, like and everything's good but how is he as good as he is i mean well he he does have three like pretty good out pitches i mean he's got like the the slider i think is probably the the best one of them i mean it like it's really good at missing bats you know since he's been a uh high quality high quality starter i guess 2015 was kind of his breakout in that regard yeah um he's got the curveball which is uses a little less one interest me is the change up it's got some of that like seam shifted wake action on it um gets a lot of downward motion it's kind of like a it holds it kind of like a split grip but you know it's more of a change up and uh he's got those three pitches that he kind of mixes all those in and you know he just kind of found a way to you know dominate with those three his fastball isn't really overpowering he has good velocity but it's not it's not like a it's not like a degrom fastball basically it's not like a overpowering like beat you up in the zone kind of thing but it's really like those three breaking pitches where he's you know doing doing all the work the changeup is also like a serious like ground ball pitch so you know, I mean, I think it's just mixing those three things, uh, those three off-speed things he throws. And, uh, you know, he still has enough velocity. I think he's down a little bit from where he was in 2015. I think he's a 94 as opposed to, like, 95, 96. But, you know, he's he's still really good. I just hope that he's he's doing okay. I mean, the, the health scare is obviously, like, um, obviously that's a that's a big deal from a few years ago. But I mean, you always want to um, hear, my elbow is always sore in March. <laughs> well, it's funny when I heard that, like, when I saw the original thing about the elbow, I'm like, oh, God, like, not, no. But then he's like, oh, yeah, my elbow always hurts. I'm like, well, how do I take that? Like, is that <laughs> is that a good thing? Like, maybe it, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Well, I, like, I feel like pitchers, <laughs> like, I mean, you never know with these guys. The Mets have sort of run into this where, like, one of one of the their old issues with Noah Syndergaard was, like, he self-reported injuries too much. Like he would let them know when he wasn't feeling great. Like, oh, I don't have to send you for an MRI. And we did that. And that costs us money at the hospital for special surgery and whatever, or whatever their weird, like rub some dirt on it. Wapani and reasons were for those things. But Wapani and reasons. Um, yeah. it, I don't like, and some guys like I'm sure are just 
never quite a hundred percent, never quite feel right and just pitch through it. So, you know, the other thing is like his breakout was in 2015, but he's been around for like a decade now. And you would expect a veteran pitcher like that. Like he knows his arm. And when he says things like, Oh, I'll be ready for opening day, whether they actually, you know, hold him back till they need a fifth starter or hold him back for a couple of weeks um, to carry an extra lever just to be safe. That's one thing that's perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. to do. I just, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt also because he hasn't been like Mets pilled over the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I, that's kind of how I felt about it too. When I saw him, that was probably about a week ago that yeah. this all came out. Right. So, I mean, if he says that he's going to be good for the first week of the season, I mean, and he says like my elbow always hurts like, okay. I mean, you know, I assume that he's going to be fine. I, I'm not super concerned about that, you know, beyond just anything elbow is just like not good. But, you know, I mean, I agree with what you said about like trusting, you know, I trust him at this point. He's been around forever. So uh, I don't know. I'm not I'm not as concerned about that as I was a week ago when I first saw the news. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's a great pitcher. I mean, I was a needless to say that was a great pickup with with that trade. So. Um, I don't remember looking, who he was traded yeah. for now. Oh, so I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember who he was traded with. I don't remember that. I definitely don't remember who he was traded with, and definitely not a, a shortstop or something. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's all. You know, that's all about his his elbow. Like, hopefully, hopefully that is is how he's saying it is. Like. Fine, so. Oh, I was talking about the original Phillies trade, not the. Uh... Oh, oh, the original <laughs> Phillies trade. Oh yeah. no, I, I was just talking about what. Oh what no, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's... Oh, I forgot. I forgot who he was traded with. I have no recollection of that. So, um, but yeah. Oh, it was a yeah. Cliff, it was a Cliff Lee deal? That makes sense. One of the many. I feel like yeah. there were like so many prospects getting thrown around for Cliff Lee. I just I can't remember. I can't keep track of all of them. It was like, I, I can't I can't think of it at the moment, but. Yeah, I guess it was one of those Cliff Lee trades. Yes, the so entire list been... of prospects traded for Cliff Lee. Uh, <laughs> or, or with Cliff Lee, because he was also in the Bartolo Colon trade. Oh, uh, that's right. Oh, wow. Brandon Phillips, Grady Sizemore. Uh, I guess Jason Knapp made the majors at some point. Philip Almont, JC Ramirez. Oh, that guy. Blake I, I Beaven like that guy. and Justin Smoke. Wow. Yeah. The, that trade, the uh, Cologne trade, I... I thought about that so many times, like the past few years. Well, especially like when Cologne was like doing Cologne things with the Mets, because I mean that was supposed to be lopsided. It, well, I mean I don't know. Like it was, it had like the it had the narrative of being super lopsided for a while, right? And then mm-hmm. like Cologne is in the majors longer <laughs> than, than everybody else. Like it's just weird. Like I like how trades have their uh, have their uh, you know their own life that they take, but. Yeah, it's a it's a throwback. So let's move on to the other major Mets acquisition of this offseason. Taiwan Walker, who's again a guy's been a prospect for it well, was a prospect a decade ago at this point, uh, and quite a good one, has turned into a very different and not particularly healthy major league pitcher. And he's always sort of been good when he's been able to pitch. He hasn't been able to pitch that often. But assuming he's healthy for some or most of this two-year deal, what's really the upside for Taiwan Walker on the Mets? I mean, I see him kind of as, you know, he's going to be mid-rotation kind of guy. I mean, I, I don't, there's really nothing that 
deep throws that's going to like blow you away. But he's like a good pitcher. You know, I mean, he's uh, looks like he's healthy again now, which is great. Um, I guess he missed like pretty much all of those two seasons, right? Like 2018, uh, 2018, 2019, right? Like, yeah, no, most of that. So the fact that he was healthy last year and, you know, was, you know, something, you know, a trade trade that trade deadline acquisition, uh, you know, the fact that he was doing well and, you know, was uh, seemed seemed healthy, of course, like that's that's good for him. I, I don't really I don't really know, to be honest, like I, I'd see him as kind of like a mid rotation guy, like nothing's nothing's going to blow you away. Um, I, I read that he said a few times that he's messing with like a knuckle curve, like, you know, kind of messing with his curveball <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, but he, I think he said that like a few times. Like I think he said it last year. He said it like a few years ago. I might have to check, but you know, he's he's you know he's good. I mean, he he's you know hopefully he doesn't walk too many guys and he, he's not going to blow you away. I think he's he's low nineties now and uh yeah you know he's mid rotation kind of guy I'd say. Yeah, he's always had you know he hasn't missed as many bats as you would think given sort of the. Kind exactly. of the stuff as a yeah. prospect, but he does get a lot of ground balls, and yeah. the Mets might actually have an infield defense that can manage that now. To so, be determined. <laughs> to be determined. Sure. Um, at least, at least for twenty twenty one, Thomas. <laughs> no, I, I meant more like JD Davis. But yes. oh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like he's one of those guys. Like it's it's fun. It's cool. He's probably just going to be like a low end three, high end four. But given the Matt's lack of starting pitching depth in recent years, like actually going out and making that move, and on what I think is a pretty reasonable contract, it's like a little nice bit of business, I guess. Oh, it's and it's it's next good year for them too. for sure, yeah. And next year too, with Syndergaard and Stroman being free agents, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's good. I mean, I'm not trying to like, I just say it's he's a good pitcher, you know, it's like he's a good yeah. mid rotation guy to have in in your rotation, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little about Marcus Stroman, who they brought back on the qualifying offer. He is messing around. So what's I, he's messing around with a change this year that's shown some mm-hmm. early potential. That he learned the grip from Robert Gazelman, which is pretty funny because it's already better than Robert Gazelman's changeup. Just <laughs> from like seeing <laughs> it in the ring. Um, yeah, is that like the missing piece here? Is there like a next step possible if he gets that arm side option, or is he just going to be good vibes and a number three starter? Good vibes. Yeah, I mean. You never know. Like you said, when I mentioned the uh, knuckle curve thing, you never know. I mean, like everyone's talking about stuff this time of year. I know he says he's been working on it for a while and he's like he was like super excited about it over the offseason. He was like posting on Twitter and Instagram. He's like, it's my new pitch. I'm so excited about it. Like, you know, uh, I'd say it's a good, you know, throwing a split change is always like it, it. it's a pretty good option if you want to make your traditional changeup more of like a bat missing option, you know, because splitters are generally better at that than than regular changeups. Um, so I'd say that you know his he probably has a little bit more, you know, a little bit more you know, bat missing potential if he can get that to a, a comfortable part of his arsenal. Um, and the, you know the rest of it. I mean, he, he throws a lot of pitches. I mean, he's. He's a pretty crafty guy out there. He's very fun to watch. So, I mean, he's, there's a. I think he also said he's working on, like, just changing his, like, regular, like, four-seam fastball or, or something like that. Like, he's tweaking some stuff with that, too. So He said he's gotten more into, like, analytic stuff. So it might be, like, a, spin, sure. it's I a mean, spin efficiency thing, I think. 
Yeah, okay. So I know he does a lot of stuff with Pitching Ninja and all that, but um, he, uh, yeah, the the split change caught my eye for sure. Um, when I've seen it, it doesn't look crazy different from the change that we threw last year, but like, you know, I mean, if, if it's something that's going to, you know, maybe get a little bit more break, get, you know, get get a little bit lower down in the zone and give him give him a better option because he already gets a ton of ground balls you know give him a little bit better option to get some strikeouts like that's good i mean that's kind of how this stuff traditionally goes like i said with with adding a split so you know we'll see how it is we'll see how it is i i'm definitely like encouraged by it he's he's very very analytical about his process so um yeah that's that's kind of how I feel about that. Like he's, I'm assuming he's still keeping the rest of his repertoire in place. I mean, he throws pretty much everything. So, um, yeah, he's crafty, fun to watch, and good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> that leaves us with just the fifth starter spot, and the Mets have basically declared it in open competition between David Peterson, Joey Lucchese, and Jordan Yamamoto, and they all offer slightly different looks and arsenals and angles and handedness and whatnot but i think the overarching question with all three is that any of them have enough fastball to be a viable long-term major league starter i would say yes i'm generally not you know i'm not gonna say like oh this guy only throws x miles an hour he can't he can't do it especially with someone like okay where do you want to start where do you want to start well let's start with peterson since he seems to be the incumbent okay yeah, yeah, Peterson is the incumbent. I like his slider. I mean, like, you know, the slider looked pretty good. There's nothing that jumps off jumps off the page when you look at his like spin numbers or his, you know, velocity. There's nothing there that's like, oh, this this is really like incredible. But you know, pitched pretty good last year, and the the slider seems like you know a competent major league pitch. And, and you know, he throws throws four pitches, and I'd say that just being a lefty is good you know it's, it's good, to, good to good to you know have that left-handed option in your rotation and um i'd say that definitely for for him it's the slider that seems like the best option even though there's nothing like you know eye popping about what he throws i think it's just the extension and the angle the slider comes on that makes it play up a little bit but yeah it's like yeah it's like a 55 and like yeah, i think it's fine it's good you can get guys out with it it's not like a super Razor blade bat misser, but right. No, I mean, we're also talking about like a fifth. We're talking about a fifth starter, so. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Uh, Lucchese, is interesting to me. Let's let's talk about the churf because people are going to want to hear about the churf. What are your thoughts on the churf? I love I love the churf. So it, it's interesting because like, you know, you you think about it as like a novelty thing. It's like, oh, he throws a pitch that no one throws. He throws like a it's kind of a changeup grip, and he snaps his wrist and moves kind of like a curveball kind of you know from the it kind of looks like a traditional split but it spins different and it's just it's interesting it's weird um but you know it's actually pretty good pitch like yeah. i mean it's been <laughs> it's been pretty good like it like i'm inclined to just say like oh yeah that's like a it's a trick it's like goofy he calls it a jerv like ha 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 but it's actually good like and it's something that you know for i think he's at like you know 40 percent whiffs per swing you know basically that's like that's you know it's good for a curveball it's really good for a changeup, and you know depending on what you want to call it and it's uh you know it's a legitimate strikeout pitch and he's you know been able to use it you know in in, in strikeout counts and and pick up some strikeouts even though he doesn't throw super hard 
Um, the the rest of his arsenal is kind of interesting to me because, you know, he's primarily a two seam fastball guy, but he throws from really high up, like he throws from over the top, and it's that's not it's not unprecedented or anything. You know, you know, there's other guys that do that, um, but it's not super common. Usually, you know, two seam guys you'll see them a little bit lower, makes the movement play a little bit more, but his his like four seam fastball kind of cuts and he doesn't you know he's just not a traditional pitcher in any in any way like he doesn't really fit into any of the you know the things that we think about with like modern pitch design certainly certainly not like he just kind of does his own thing right at least from what i can tell so yeah i think the concern the, is like it's like a it's like a two-pitch guy with some deception and you know like like a trick pitch you do wonder if the league like it's sort of like a josh colamenter thing where the league gets started to well, figure him out yeah right yeah that's my yeah concern. yeah exactly Sorry, I cut you off. Continue. No, no, no. It's just that, like, I would like to piggyback him with Seth Lugo, but Seth Lugo's out for, like, two months. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't I, know how can many... I interest you in a slightly used Robert Gazelman? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how many innings he could throw in a game. Like, mm. I feel like at some point... Well, that's the thing with all these guys, and I, I think yeah. Yamamoto, too. It's Yeah, because it, he's... All for shot. different reasons. Like, Peterson isn't quite as efficient as you'd like. Lucchesi may not have the durability, and Yamamoto might not have the fastball turnover lineup multiple times you really kind of and like i don't think that like how many teams really go five starters deep that are going to consistently get you into the sixth seventh inning but it just might be that the mets bullpen is particularly not equipped to handle yeah, yeah. coming in in the coming out with like coming in with like one out in the sixth consistently it's it's less about the starters and more about like i have to see like miguel castro in the sixth <laughs> inning try to pick you back you know what i mean like yeah, yeah like they're just going to lose the lead that they have probably with how the bullpen set up right now so at least the way i'm looking at it from here that's my have, concern with that stuff. Have they had conversations about Lucchese being kind of like a, I don't want to say swingman, but like, you know, like a piggyback option? Has that been part of the conversation? It seems like it might help him I that way. Surp- I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening just because yeah. they're going to need someone in that kind of role, especially early in the season. And with, with Lugo yeah. out and they probably have two to three bullpen spots to play with right now you might want to take like Joey Lucchese and the flexibility he can give you in that regard over like Tommy Hunter, who might be the, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or I don't even know who else would be at the point. Like who's the, we're a couple weeks away from the bullpen preview, but it's like Tommy, well, better idea then, but it's like Tommy Hunter. It's like Jacob Barnes. Um, fuck. I don't even know. <laughs> I guess I could just check what roster resource says right now. That's the thing I can, <laughs> that's the thing I can do. Uh, I feel like, like both him and Yam, who we're going to talk about soon, Yamamoto would fit that role because of how their their strengths play would play up in a sh- in shorter bursts. I think I could see that too. I mean, I don't know if we're segueing to Yamamoto sure. yet, but okay, here we go. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, with Yamamoto. Like, first of all, I was like kind of stunned that the Marlins let him go. Like, Me too. Me too. I I, do, I have no clue how that happened. Were they just really like upset about? fact that he gave up 13 runs in a game like, be. like <laughs> they mean, do have a lot of 13... starting pitching depths they might have just decided that he was yeah you know if he's just... like the ninth guy or whatever what was the trade return for, or was he how did he get to the Mets they got him on waivers I think it was a DFA Seriously? claim and they sent no they sent their like award oh, yeah, they Sterling award-winning DSL middle infielder that was repeating the level I just don't I just don't see how that's a thing honestly like <laughs> I honestly like I don't know. I could be totally wrong and you know Yamamoto I I probably like more than any of these guys. 
And he's also, how old is he? 24, 25? Yeah, something like that. And, like, I just don't see, like, why the Marlins would do that. I mean, at least maybe try him in the bullpen or something. Like, it just, yeah. if, they, if they don't want him to start, if they don't think that they don't like him giving up 13 runs to the Braves, like, it's really, that's how it felt to me. It's like, that was his last game with the team, and it's like, no, you're gone. Like, it's kind of silly. But for the, on the Mets side of it, like, I think I, I, you know, I thought that was a great pickup for them because he has tools. You know, he has tools. Like, I know his fastball isn't good, necessarily good. He has good the most complete era. arsenal of these three guys. Though. Yeah, I mean, he throws three breaking pitches, which is, first of all, not common for someone in his early 20s. Um, you know, cutter, slider, curveball. I think the slider's probably the best of them. He throws them all kind of equally. Um, but the slider, like, I mean, we have, if you want to look at a percentile, it's at, like, 98 percentile yeah, in terms of spin rate. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, spin rate isn't everything, obviously. It's, like, it's a tool. You know, it's something in the toolbox. It's, like, you can use it to your advantage. But it's something that will help you. I mean, it's not having a, a lot of spin is, is, is a good thing. You know, it's and it makes me wonder if he could be, Someone that prior, you know, prioritizes an unusual pick, pitch mix uh, a little bit more to kind of emphasize those parts of his arsenal that are that are better. Um, you know, I think the the slider really is kind of kind of catches my eye. Um, it's again, it's it's not it's not like a hard biting slider. It's like kind of a slurvy slurvy slider, but it's that's not bad. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's just. I don't know with him. Like I, I, I see, like the the off speed stuff and the breaking stuff, and I'm like, well, you know, I, I, there's something to work with there. Um, and kind of like we were talking about Lucchese, like, you know, maybe he maybe he ends up fitting better in a shorter shorter role. I don't know, but it's like worth a definitely worth a try to see what you have. So. I, I, and the Mets, I'm like, like, like Mets never both him and Lucchese, the Mets never acquire this kind of pitcher in the off season. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. it definitely it it feels like a a good you know the like, two of we them, need to, we need to fill our six starter role and they go out and sign like Aaron Laffey as a minor league oh, free agent. Man. Yeah, that's it's different. <laughs> this isn't this is not Aaron Laffey. Like yeah. with all due respect to everybody. Aaron Laffey, but but like you know, it, I I'm still kind of baffled why uh, Miami let him go. Like I just see some I, I I'd call it potential. I mean, there's just like a lot of stuff to work with there. I think. So, you know, between between him and uh, Lucchese, like, there's kind of like the you know the opposite side. They have a what seems to be a pretty good out pitch, not much fastball velocity, um, you know, not necessarily anything particularly unique about the fastball. It's not like like I said about like Lucchese, like he throws a two seamer, but doesn't really get many ground balls. It's not like there's anything about either of their fastballs. It's like, you know, identifiable or can can be used to really help them so that's kind of all about the you know the secondary stuff with them so again it's the same thing where it's like i don't know maybe bullpen is going to end up working better for for both of them maybe it's you know peterson's job because he's more of like a starting pitcher (laughs) kind of type of guy like you know he's more of like a you know a lefty back of the rotation starting pitcher and they just want to give him that job and and try these other guys out in, in shorter roles which i mean maybe that's better I don't know, but I do see more, you know, for Yamamoto just building off of like the the spin he gets and, you know, just the 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 option for him of being like a like a super 
fat missy kind of guy which i know it, it hasn't really happened yet to the extent that you you can project it out to be but you know i i think there's a lot there to work with so zooming out we'll wrap it up with this roughly speaking this is the x best starting rotation in baseball this year oh man ah oof i'm caught off guard by this one <laughs> uh let's see i you know they're good i mean degrom is gonna you know if you have degrom like you're already <laughs> really good and no but longer backing them with rick porcello and michael waka oh i'll do respect i'm not gonna say anything bad but uh former Cy young award winner rick porcello Syndergaard, when is he coming back what's uh, yeah, he's targeting june it sounds like okay yeah and he's on the 60 so okay yeah i mean and again i don't know what to expect from him coming back wow i don't, I don't know where to put them in terms of a number i i think that the Carrasco, if Carrasco's elbow is not bad, <laughs> you know, if, el- if his elbow is as he says it is, and it's just like a normal thing, and Degrom, I'm just, I just have to assume with Degrom, he's. I gonna, guess I'll put it this way: Would you ta- do- would you take them over either the Dodgers or Padres rotation? Uh, hmm. I don't know if I'd take them over the Dodgers. I, I don't know if I take them over the Padres. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I think that it's close. And, and I think that having, uh, you know, having someone like, again, having DeGrom and just kind of expecting the the quality that he's going to give you at the front of the rotation is like, you know, that, that get, kicks him up a little bit. I like it. I mean, I really like it. It's definitely like, it's definitely good. And having Syndergaard coming back, is you know i mean it, that 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 makes them like even even more more fierce with with him coming back but you know i i i don't know if i would say that they're you know better than those two teams especially with all all the moves that the padres made this off season but they're they're really good i mean i i i i definitely think that they're 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 one of the one of the better rotations. I do not know what number I'd put on it in terms of you know the rest of the league, but I I like it a lot. And I just I hope that Carrasco is is good. I hope that Carrasco can stay healthy. And uh, yeah, I am curious what they do at the back end, like we were talking about. But you know, having having Walker's it's going to give them some innings, and you know, I think that they're I think that they're really good. Lucas Apostolaris. From baseball perspectives, you can follow him on Twitter at DBITLefty. Don't bring in the lefty. Thanks for <laughs> joining us. Thank you guys very much. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeepings for all you kids out there. Episode 270 for all you kids out there is a Mets adjacent baseball perspectives podcast. Find us on the internet at baseballperspectives.com. The podcast is on iTunes and various other non-iOS apps. Just search for for all you kids out there and you listen or subscribe right there. 
I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and view the podcast. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at For All You Kids. Thomas is on Twitter at SadMetsSeason. That's S-Z-N for you older millennials out there. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash for all you kids out there. And you can email the show at all you kids at baseballperspectives.com. We will start with the Facebook group. We have some over unders from Peter Q for the P Mets 2021 over unders wins 90.5 Thomas. Ooh. I have them right now at 88, so under. Really? I mean, that doesn't surprise me, actually. <laughs> Why? What do you have them over? I, I'll take the over there. Uh, I think the actual Vegas line is around, like, 92 or 93. It's 90. It's in, is it in, that like, low now? I saw 90 somewhere, but also it could be, like, you know, sites have all these, like... Yeah, big, yeah. I mean, I think like, Pakoda, the, Pakoda, has them at, Pakoda has them at, like, 93. I think that's, like, broadly right. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they fall a little short of that, but I think they're, like, a low 90s win team. It's mostly like I think they're still a little bit thin in the pitching department in terms of the bullpen. Like sure. I can see the bullpen costing them a few games that they shouldn't lose that the that like Pakoda wouldn't project them to, you know? Right. Just um Pakoda still thinks like Dallin Batances is really good. Exactly. Like and especially with Lugo being out for a few months, I could mm-hmm. see them kind of having a stronger like once he comes back and they kinda of like go into gear in Atlanta, I think is underrated. Um Yeah. I mean, if I had to predict an exact win total, I'd probably take, like, 93, I think. That's fair. I mean, 88, I'm being low just because it's still a team that was really bad last year. Yes. And, like, they've added a lot to it. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they It's not like they didn't do anything this offseason. But it's still a huge gap to make up. Mm-hmm. And um, it might be... It might be a little much, but also if they win 90 or 91, 92, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like yeah. the bullpen didn't cost them those five dumb games that I mm-hmm. think it could. So I'm mostly, it's mostly really me worried about the bullpen, which is me probably overrating how important that is, you know? Because sure. everything else is really good. Like the team is good. And I think that a top five team in the league probably, which probably makes me sound saying 88 wins is stupid, but also the league is weird. I mean, that might be a top five team in the league. This exactly. Year. Like the White Sox are the second best team in the AL. So, yeah. Alonzo Homers, 40.5. Over. Yeah, I I guess I worry a little about the dead in baseball, but I still think, like, he was basically on a 40, like, low 40s pace last year and wasn't making a ton of contact. And I believe enough in sort of the... Like, he just, I don't... It's not, like, a case of believing or not believing. I think he's looked more like himself, so yeah. I don't, I, don't, I, just, I don't think he's going to hit 50 again, but if you told me no. he's like 43 home runs, yeah. Even if you said, like I was going to say, even if you said 45, I'd probably take the under. Yeah. But 40, I think he could hit 40 if he says He healthy. can also like not have a great quote-unquote season and hit like 42 home runs while hitting oh, yeah, like 237 sure. or something. Like literally out a little too much. Yeah, like, and just do that for 140, 150 games, yeah. yeah. DeGrom wins 14 and a half. Oh, man. I want to take the over on that for the first, like, really give him some wins. He could win 20. Cause it I feels like the lineup is good enough now that... Yeah. But, like, it wasn't bad in the last couple of years, and... I know, but... It feels a little different. I don't know why, but Different I feel vibes? Like it... Good vibes? Yeah, yeah, the vibes are through the roof. Yeah. But, um... I don't know, it just... I could see him actually getting the run support. 
now because I think the I honestly think the offense is better this year than it was last year. Even though I don't think I think we've talked about this probably on Zoom calls and stuff with amazing every people, but I could see the the like the the weighted the the WRC plus being worse than last year, but the offense actually being better in terms of scoring right. runs and stuff. Yeah. Like I think they got a little unlucky last year in terms of um, hitting with runners in scoring position because that's fluky, and you add a sixty game and sixty game season into that, and that's even more fluky. So. I mean, this offense is kind of crazy. Like, an eight hitter is going to be probably average to above average. Yeah. If it's James McCann or something, so they just like, win. Yeah, eight. I feel like Degrom. Like, even if the bullpen blows a couple of games or he loses some annoying two-one Marlins games to Pablo Lopez or whatever, I feel like sixteen <laughs> and seven feels like about right yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah, I could see him. Like, I, I, I really think he could be a twenty-game winner on the high end. Obviously, he's obviously good enough. It's yeah. that's up to the team, not him, because wins are bad. But um, like, I think he's actually going to have like a stellar win loss record. He's going to be this is going to be the first time that he yeah. actually gets that, which is going to be nice. And somehow he loses like a twenty win Kyle Davies or something. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Porcello signs with Washington. Yeah, wins twenty games. McNeil batting average three twenty. Oh, I have to look at his other batting averages. Hold on, I'm cheating. I can't, like, so I'm just going to say under, because I just can't project a dude to hit I, I 320 in, in 2021 baseball. Like, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you said 310, I might even take the over, but... I don't know. I think he's going to hit, like, in the 310s. 320 is high. 320 is really high, Leo. It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, um, I mean, it does happen, but it's, like, two guys a year, and it's not who you yeah. necessarily... Like, Charlie Blackman hit almost 400 for <laughs> their season, like... Yeah, it'll be like Jose Iglesias hitting 300 or something, yeah. and it's like, okay, sure, because it's all singles or whatever. But And he was weird. Last, I think it was last year he did this, but in the second half, he was like batting average bad, home runs good. And, and he 2019. just started like, oh, that was 2019? Yeah. He just he started like to like 280 with like power, yeah. Like... Yeah, so I could see him doing that and maybe hitting like 300 even below 310 for a season. and I do wonder, going out- like, again, I have no fucking idea what these baseballs are going to do. I don't think Major League Baseball does either, which is probably a problem. But <laughs> he's, like, he's got really good. Like, he's got the kind of, like, raw power, like, when he hits home runs or, like, the Daniel Murphy variety. Yes. Where it's, like, they go a long way. He's got good raw. Especially um, when he pulls them. Yeah. I just don't, like, I think he's probably better off hitting, like, 310, 380, 460 than trying to sell out for power. Oh, I agree with you. I just don't know if he agrees with you. <laughs> Edwin Diaz saves 30 and a half. Um, I'll probably take over. Um, I like to make fun of Edwin Diaz, but I make fun of every closer that's ever existed because mm-hmm. closers are just, if they do their job, there's nothing to celebrate because that's what you're supposed to do. And right. I'm, you lose the game if they don't. So you get, you get roasted, you know, like, it's it's the it's the most loveless job in the sport, but he right. was really good last year. He was. And I honestly think 2019 was the ball more than him. Like, he's a slider pitcher, and his slider was dead with that weird ball. And if the ball is changed again and it's moving the way more pitcher-friendly, he just might be good again, you know? Which would be nice for us to not hear about the trade anymore, even though we will. Right, so in, in 2019... When he pitched to a five and a half ERA, and I think oh, lost his job several times, still got twenty six saves. Exactly. So I I don't see like you have Trevor May there who could close if he gets hurt or if things get really bad. But yeah, I, I'll take the over there. 
it's it seems to be like I think the Mets are going to be good enough where they'll they'll have a thirty save plus guy, mm-hmm. and they seem to. I mean, they didn't sign multiple relievers because they didn't want to give the job away. <laughs> like, they, like it was. I don't know if that was fake or I don't know if that was posturing or I don't know if that was actually what happened. But they seem extremely committed to him being the closer for rightful reasons. I understand why, and I would be too. It's just. I don't. He's probably not going to lose his job because you need May to pitch in the seventh and the eighth. Yeah. And, also, he's using Narco again, so that'll solve everything. I mean, then he's just going to win the Cy Young, so it's fine. That's like a, that would even be funnier if Diaz beats Degrom for the Cy Young. It's like <laughs> fifty-eight saves and pitches like a one-point-three. Yeah. With the new he has like year. an Eric Gagne season, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, well, you have to give him the Cy Young," and Degrom wins twenty and can't win it yeah. anyway. Nimmo on base percentage three seventy-five. Oh, that seems like an easy over. I should just like actually look at like his career numbers for this kind of thing. He's but definitely it does feel pretty, like I'm pretty sure he's had four hundreds before, which is insane. Oh, yeah. Um Yeah, his career three ninety. He hasn't been under three seventy five since his rookie like even the year he hit two twenty one, he had a three seventy five on base percentage. He, so even the year the he couldn't move his head around, he had a three seventy five <laughs> on base percentage. So he's gonna have like probably four hundred one and yeah. I mean, his two, his two good full seasons, 2020 full, it, were on base percentages over 400. Like, like, say what you about Brandon Nemo, but dude gets on base. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to be fun. He's, he's uh, going to get on base. I already know your answer to this one, Thomas. Uh, Lindor <laughs> extension, 10 years, 310 million. Thomas thinks it's zero years and zero million. Oh, so. my God. <laughs> do, do I need to have nuance on the podcast and explain uh, that I'm worried about Sandy Alderson giving away 10, 10 years? But, um... It probably happens, right? Mm-hmm. And Rosenthal floated nine, like two eighty, to add to the one twenty-two. Yeah. So I don't think that gets it done because right. I think that's too little. Um, well, that's think... one where I think you could see like over on years, but under on dollars too, if they want to, yes. like ameliorate the CBT number. And that even wouldn't be a bad idea. And yeah. I would, I'd be fine with that. I would. If it's like I'd... twelve, three ten, or something like that. Yeah. I think he wants three hundred. Like, yeah, like he wants three hundred. Like, like, like you said, like, like players and their agents like the round numbers. Yeah, it's it's a shiny number to be on my three hundred. Yeah. Because if you're a two hundred ninety million dollar player, you're not. Yeah, that's less cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally, it literally it is, is less cool. It seems, it's you're not in the in the Machado bets. Right. If it's uh, like eight, if it's like eight two ninety versus twelve three ten. Like even though you're making more money per year, like what are you really getting on the back end of that? I mean, actually, he'll only be like twenty, thirty-five, so you might get like another. I mean, who knows what the free agent market looks like in who knows what two thousand twenty-nine? Like. Oh boy, God knows if like City Field is still above sea level at that point. So. <laughs> the Montreal Mets with Francisco Lindor. Hey, I'm okay with that. <laughs> as much as I love the uh, Golden Mall in Flushing, <laughs> uh, Montreal is also a very good town to eat in. Um. But he probably like. I think he. Be- I think he beats this. Yeah, the whole time I've said like that's the baseline, mm-hmm. like the very minimum you could do. Yeah. And Tatis, if you look at the the way it's structured, it's about that in his free agent years. Um, the rest of it is like his RB years getting eaten up. So I could see him beating it a little bit, maybe going a little higher. Um, mm-hmm. on both on like I think years especially I could see it being longer than we expect, just because they seem to care about the. The luxury tax. Right. 
Question from Sean, Q for the P. If we're really rolling with this Swiss cheese-esque defense, how likely do you think it is for the Rojas Brain Trust to leverage matchups on a day-in-and-out basis? I mean, the obviously innings defensive, beyond the obviously innings defensive replacements, one thought would be something like starting Yurame at third if Stroh is pitching in a righty on the mound. Any other ideas you might have to leverage the most out of the better defenders on the bench? So... On one level, this is a deep enough roster now where you can get kind of creative like that. I'm sure yeah. once, you know, the uh, Oscar metrics guy has some time in between trying to figure out whether Sophia Loren is going to get nominated <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> for an Oscar Best Actress this year for the film she did with her son. Um, I did not know her son is also married to Sasha Alexander, who was on NCIS. I found that oh, out. I didn't during, know that either. Yeah, late night AA Slack last night. I, fa- I, fa- I was looking up the movie I, I, in question because I, I did one. not know that Sophia Loren that. was in a movie this year. But good for her. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, you can do things like that. Like that's the kind of things that analytically forward-thinking teams would do, right? If you're facing, I don't know, uh, Joe Ross against the Nationals, do you start Yarme at third? Is Ross against Stroman or Ross against Peterson, something like that, um, over Davis? Or do you start him at second and Figueroa at third? Like you can. Manipulate that how you want, yeah. And start like you want to you want to leverage lefties there as much as possible. Um. So it so the the team is really weird in that most of the starters are bad defenders, Mm -hmm. but most of the bench are good defenders, and I don't know if they can hit enough to be start. You know, yeah. So like you, I understand why they have to play Dom every day in left field Mm -hmm. because of the bat, but also. In the seventh inning, he's going to have to come out of every game. And right. I don't know if whoever you put out there is going to be like Kevin PR against, uh, PR, Kevin Pilar <laughs> against righties. I don't know if you want him in there, but against lefties, you do. You, so you could do a lot with this team. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's less of a stationary lineup than we think mm-hmm. now. Because right now it seems pretty obvious who is going to play every day all the time. But you could really get creative and give guys get days off when they need them and stagger the days off and platoon at third base, especially because I think JD Davis is going to be the one who loses the most playing time out of all this because he's the most expendable one. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, I think there's a lot of smart ways to do it. It's just how many double switches can you make in a game? And yeah. <laughs> that's what Luis Rojas likes them. Cause he was, he, he's done them before. So, It'll be, it it, be a Mets trend when we actually have a manager that can figure out how to do a double switch. Oh, I just yeah. use we. I've had a lot of sake, to be fair. <laughs> I always say I, this. I do not, like, I try never to use we because I do not want to associate myself with this baseball team, but I've had a lot of sake, <laughs> so. I want to keep them as far as, mm. as, as arm distance as possible, please and thank you. But um, I'll do it with my terrible soccer team that blew a goal lead to Norwich this morning. But I mean, my, my terrible soccer team lost to Burnley yeah. at home, so... You, know, you can't one. get Dom Smith unpacking an Everton jersey. <laughs> I'll I'll drag them out to to Goodinson to yeah. watch to watch a terrible loss, and I'll be very sad about it. But um, yeah, it's they're they're an interestingly built team in that they're they're weird. It's a very odd roster because of no DH. I think I think that really screwed them because I think they had plans for a DH, and then it never happened, and it might not. I mean, so. how shocked would you be if on like 
March 27th, MLB just decided there's an NLDH. Like three days before the season, yeah, now yeah. I'm spent the entire month, like yeah. the last two weeks, in running around in left I mean, field. And I mean, like, the, appropriate, the appropriate thing to happen would be he like pulls an oblique or pulls like a <laughs> hammy trying to make a play in the gap three days before the se- uh, season starts, and then they announce an NLDH, and it's still just like the NL, like the DH is now just Jonathan VR. <laughs> <laughs> the DH is a platoon between VR and Guillaume or whatever, mm-hmm. some weird stuff or whatever. But um, Albert Almora is playing every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just I could see them functioning that way and really making a lot of late. I think there's going to be a lot of defensive subs and a yeah. weird lineups late in games. This is actually a good companion piece to that Facebook question. It's an email from Philip. It's two parts. We'll do the baseball part and then the wrestling portion as we transition to the wrestling <laughs> portion of the show. Hey, guys, why was it such a big deal that Mets did a fake World Series celebration? If I didn't know any better, I would say that's all in good fun, and knowing we have our own cookie club, it makes total sense they would do something like this. The core of Alonzo, Conforto, McNeil, Nemo, Smith, Davis, and Lindor are so fun, and it's attitudes like this that create a winning atmosphere that you can't put a statistical value on. So I was, like, I was against this when it came out. Because to me, it's like posting cringe. And I think just for the <laughs> fact that it actually got on the internet and was like, tweeted out by the beat and SNY probably bothered me more than them actually doing it. But then I thought about it and the actual drill is them. Uh, it's a 27 out drill. So you have to do 27 yeah. outs without making an error. The fact yeah, they were able to do that after what we've seen this spring, fucking celebrate like it's game seven of the world series. <laughs> it's not going to happen again. Honestly, it's rarer than winning. Yeah, the world right. series, to be quite honest with you. Like if they win the world series, they'll be like, that's the second best thing they've done this year. They got 27 yeah. outs consecutively defensively. It's a very the college baseball thing, and I kind of hate college baseball, so that's kind of like part of it. But it's like, just, I don't it's, know. It's a it's fine just, line to tread, is like the thing. It it's very close to being like you losers, but yeah, yeah. I found I found it pretty fun. Do I you thought remember it was funny. this was like Mets blog and like I don't remember it's from like two thousand. Whenever Howard Johnson took over as like hitting coach, so like two thousand eight oh. <laughs> or something, they were doing a spring training like a. Uh, bp drill where it's like oh it's two outs first and third in the world series go the other way and then like 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 trying to like like do like situational hitting drills which mm-hmm. is like the most like well Pani and mets kind of bullshit oh, that's so crazy yeah and that's I, so crazy. I get that there's a uh i don't want to play like like imagine what you will into the like think it into the world kind of thing no speak it into existence yeah yeah it's like 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 the it's like the secret board or whatever. <laughs> so if they do win the World Series, they have to do it every year, right? Is, this, but this is like a good vibes team, so you just kind of yeah, roll so, with I them. Mean, I they're guess. Just, yeah, they're a I, bunch it, of like sh- doofuses. It's fine. Yeah, it's just a bunch of dudes. It's a team of himbos, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. They're just having fun. Imagine they're winning the World Series in March while it's yeah probably another boring spring training practice that they're over. I'm yeah. sure all these dudes are over it by now. Yeah, so. You might as well have some fun while you're doing it. So right. that's really all it is for me. Tovar is up at that. Oh, Wilfredo. So I'll tell my Wilfredo Tovar story. I'm sure I've told this on multiple podcasts since. Um, he played 31 games. Who did he play 31 games for in 2019? Yeah. Anaheim. Uh, that makes sense. I actually Boston. didn't know that because he was up at the same time as like Cesar Pueyo and Jeffrey Monte. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was like all those dudes were up all at those the same dudes, time. Yeah. 
so many years ago, I was working a New Britain game. I don't even know if this was when I was at BP or Mason Avenue, but um, Chris McShane and his father were there. And I came down to talk to him as it got into the later innings. And Wilfredo Tovar came up. And I, I turned to him and go like, Wilfredo Tovar is a great, great example of 20 game power. Hit the next one like off the center field fence there yeah. at like 410 <laughs> feet. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that's awesome that's so funny uh, it's an absolute tank just the right fucking like I mean, shit all over it and it still only went off the fence in this double a park but yeah i'm just like come on man really <laughs> making me look do awful yeah this is like the slashy opposite field thing is what he actually does AEW. I do love Christian Cage, but I don't see the benefit of having him on the roster and furthermore directly inserting him into the world title picture it's beginning to feel very TNA-ish. I do trust AEW at the end of the day not to make these mistakes, but this does feel like a weird move. Your thoughts? So I guess we can transition to our AEW Revolution review now. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> where do you want to start, Thomas? <laughs> um, do you want to start with the sprinklers or do you want to build up to that? Um, I guess overall thoughts on the show before the sparklers went off. I had fun with it. Um, yeah, it wasn't... It was... <sighs> It was like, like we were talking about in and um, our DMs was like it wasn't the most big time pay per view ever. It right. was basically felt like a big building up show. I which did is see that it like actually made more money than any pay per view non WWE pay per view since nineteen ninety nine, which is interesting to me. So I guess there was yeah, actually some know. juice for the sparklers. Yeah, I guess people like. I guess that's an easy thing to hype up that last match, but yeah. um. I don't know. And it Omega just, and Moxley like both seem like draws on their own too. So yes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. They're they're big time stars, especially now. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It felt like they were building towards the next pay per view during this one. So which I, for me, sucks. it felt like they were building towards Dynamite, which is. I mean, yes. Because you know the latter match was a title shot on Dynamite, and. Um, See, yeah, like what came out with the Moxley. Really- that stuff annoys me because you could just make that a title shot for the next pay-per-view and have a month-long program or yeah. multiple, six-week program. Well, that's program. the problem when you're doing, like, three between, you know, quarterly pay-per-views or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, the model seems to be working for them. Like, the actual show, like, everything was about as good as I expected or better, in all honesty. The so Women's Match was very good. The Women's Match was very good. I shouldn't be disappointed by it. Um, it did feel like a three-match show, and the top three matches were, again, not disappointing, like... The Moxley Omega, the actual barb, like the spectacle of the match was fine, but like, yeah, you just got to have Onita come in and blow shit up, basically. Like, just like yeah. if you're gonna do that, is the, and you're hyping it, and you're showing clips of these FMW matches in the build. I think they salvage it okay, and to sort of tie in the Christian stuff here, I think they're actually doing the right thing. Like the thing I suggested in, I think, to you and also in Discord was. You just have Moxley come out and just like shit all over it and say like I'm gonna be on Botchamania for the rest of my life because they're very meta textual. <laughs> so you can just go out and out reference that and be like, well, you got to pick that match. I get to pick. You, know, you can't beat me cleanly. You know, sort of underline what he's done to win the two matches. Tony Khan has let me pick the next stipulation and, and you do whatever. Yeah. Um, so the problem with that is you have to beat Moxley a third time, probably for what they want to do long term. So I, I think, would say so. I think bringing Christian in with Kingston is you have two guys that can kind of take the falls there while still keeping Moxley peripherally involved and not letting the angle really just sort of die on the vine. 
And like as much as I like AEW and what it does, their main their main event scene is kind of thin. Mm-hmm. Like once you get past the the star stars, yeah. I don't really know who Omega faces. You know, like right. it's a lot of like upper mid card guys. But I'm like I don't care about like it's not that I don't care about them because that's yeah. that's not true. But there's not a lot of credible people to get a title shot right. against so him. You can now. you can sell Omega Christian at double for, double or nothing. Oh, easy, because right. Christian walks in and he's, yeah. like, I mean, as much as they hyped him up as WWE Hall of Famer, which is true, yeah, it's, he's a star and he's one of the better wrestlers, like, he's 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 a very good professional wrestler, has been for a long time, right. obviously. But, I mean, assuming he's, like, medically cleared, he can still go, like, I'm actually intrigued about what an Omega-Christian match would look like, because it feels yeah. like a weird styles clash, and, like, I don't, he's worked WWE style, even when he was in TNA, frankly, for... Yeah his entire career but sort of like the last few years and like the del rio and orton feuds like i think he's very capable of transitioning into the kenny omega type match again assuming he doesn't get immediately concussed by a b trigger or something no yeah for sure and also if christian comes in and loses i'm like okay yeah that's fine and that's what they do so like uh jared and i have talked about this they it's very like a territorial you point to things where you bring in a big star from another territory, whether it's Christian or Cage or Brody Lee, and you build them up for or Lance Archer. You build them up as these monsters, and uh, whoever you want to—I mean, mostly it's been Cody Rhodes. You, yes, I mean Moxley in some cases too. You put them over, you know, you use that to enhance your main talent, whether it's Rhodes or Moxley or Omega in this case. Like Omega beating Christian in like a twenty-five minute low-end match of the year candidate is good for everyone involved. Yeah, because and Christian could take that loss standing yep. up easy. Yep. And he shows up to Dynamite the next day and feuds with someone else. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like or on Wednesday rather. Next right. day, you know, Archer but... Archer basically came in and job to Cody and he's fine Moxley in short order, and he's like, yeah, he's still a big yeah. Because he still he... feels like a monster, and those matches yeah. felt like matches he could have won at any point in time. Yeah, like. And they didn't like 50, 50 booking those feuds into oblivion. Like the one 50, 50 they did was really the Brody Lee thing. And it worked great. Yeah. Cause they, because like, it was, was, again, it was very territorial. You have the heel come in and squash the baby face, like in a, in a more sort of, you know, you didn't have a weekly TV model. You'd probably have Cody win like a fluke victory or some sort of like DQ in the next match. And then uh, the Dusty gimmick, finish. the gimmick, the gimmick, dusty finish and the gimmick blow off. That's like the, the old like MSG WWE model. And, yeah. A lot of the Crockett territories as well, uh, but yeah, it's fine. They they didn't they didn't do a huge number coming off it on Dynamite either in the overall viewers the demo, but like that shit just doesn't matter anymore. They're going to be unopposed in a month. Yes, because <laughs> NXT gave up. So WWE rather, but um, Christian is kind of like the level of star that he's not too big where he has to come in and win and right. win things immediately. Like if Christian never is AEW champion, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I think he might get a run at some he point. He feels like the it. dude that beats like Brian cage for the TNT title at the end of the year and runs with that for a while. Yeah. And he's just like dominating the TNT no. division or whatever they're going to say. Yeah. And then he loses it to some up and coming dude to yeah. put him over. But, yeah. um, and, yeah, it's just it's it's one of those things that's like he probably could go better than like a Kurt Angle, as we said last when I was on last that um that could be a possibility or a Batista or something yeah. as long as he's cleared like he could I have no doubts that he could still wrestle so um 
Also, it's funny that they basically looks like they stole him from WWE. <laughs> um, yeah. they, they, they didn't really, right. but they also kind of did because he was on, he was at the Royal Rumble. And then he it's big like WCW throwing the woman's title in the garbage can when yeah, or like Lex Luger showing up on Nitro live when he's on taped on Raw too. Yeah, yeah it's like it, that 90s. Oh, yeah. And like Rick, um, like Rick Rude showing up on. Yeah. I think he went to uh, WCW from WWF or other way around. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, it's stuff like that that's fun, and that's yeah. just funny to me. And um, he has to be Christian Cage again and has the TNA music. So. Which is fine. Yeah, the music's like – he said such good WWE themes, and it's unfortunate. I, like, I'm like – I know why they think And but... AEW generally does a good job with those themes. So. Yeah. But I liked Revolution. It was just – it felt like – so – I said like this it's to you. tough. Like it's tough when you're doing quarterly pay per views. Yeah. Like, it felt like a really... filler pay per view. Yeah, it felt like fast lane. That's like in between <laughs> every. Like yeah. that. It's it's the one that's like in between WrestleMania and like no, you know, nothing big is going to happen because so, you have to save all that stuff for the next month. But the next month is dynamite. Like the next month isn't yeah. the next pay per view. So this literally comes down to they needed like if they had gone like 33 minutes with an in-ring explosion like a good in-ring explosion because that match was well on its way to being a great match yes like i really enjoyed we haven't even talked about like uh kenny omega coming out in full john zandig cosplay <laughs> <laughs> like of all the deathmatch wrestlers to uh it's the best yeah to reference also, it's like a stream omega yeah um and like the mat like look it wasn't gonna be that kind of mid 90s bloody spectacle but i thought for what it was it was really effective i don't even think they're allowed to do that right that's like, the thing. like i don't know like it's the oh man there are no laws in florida but like, i don't know if like the jacksonville fire marshal is signing off on doing that kind of explosion which is why i'm I, even I on wonder, tv i mean like yeah. like is tnt gonna really let them do that <laughs> like yeah, i know it's, it's a pay-per-view but, but that's like, like then like can you really they went, I think, probably about as far as they realistically could in the Lights Out match in terms of doing, like, an American Deathmatch-style match. Yes, 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 yes. Because it's not going to be just, like, I remember it's at uh, Janela's Spring Break and it was in New York and it was, like, just, like... Just a disaster, Fucking yeah. Takeda and <laughs> the different boy, Jimmy Lloyd, just, like, absolutely murdering each other with light tubes. Yeah, like... It's and just not like be full, that like like full, like one point Mudahase scale blood at the end of it. Like, they're just not gonna, they're not gonna do that. Like, I mean, Moxie would absolutely do that. But I mean, he he did. He that has yes before. Um, but um, it's just it's it's one of those things where when they when they said the match, I was like on American television. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's a and tough, then they uh, kind of pulled it off. To be honest with you, like right. If it had if they, it had a better finish, like I don't even love the constant interference shit like if he has a little like gato bullet club you just oh, it's big, right it's now. big time bullet club stuff it's just and, like if you blow that off in the end i guess it's fine but i don't know what the actual like end game is for that specific angle like i think we all know that page is taking the belt off omega but they're not in any hurry to do that i guess maybe you're finally doing some sort of blood and guts thing once they can tour again this fall that's what I'm assuming. So, which is which is fine. They can drag it out to them. You can run, I don't know, Moxley, Cage, Kingston, and I'd be down for that. Whatever tag team you want to yeah. sub in there against the Good Brothers, 
Omega and the Bucks, maybe. And they can get like the Bucks is like reluctant to. One of the things I like it. about AEW is that they their stories are yeah. have been rather slow burning a little right. bit. Like the MJF, like Peyton, the MJF turn was both obvious, but also ended up very effective because of the way they did it. Like everyone knew MJF oh, was, was turning on him. They didn't try to swerve you, but he ended up with a cool stable at the end of it. And now there's two stables, and yeah. it's obvious what's about to happen next yep. with them going at it, and it's going to be great. It's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah. Like that's going to be fun. And um. Like it's it's like you said, it's very obvious. Paige is taking the title, but if he does it in six months and eight months, then it's yeah. going to be like, oh, he finally did it, and it's going right. to feel really like good about it. It's just and like the Hardy match was like three minutes too long, which you say about well, everything match? on the show. The Hardy Page match at the pay per view, uh, yeah, it was... but it was fine. Like it was for like that kind of mid card placeholder feud thing. Like it was very effective. It got Page over. You got the Dark Order at the end of it. Like it's just like exactly what you'd want out of that match, and you got it. Yeah, that's pretty much what a lot of it was, was what I wanted out of it is how I got, except for the ends, which I thought they were going to fade to black before the explosion <laughs> hit, and we yeah. didn't see it, because I didn't think they were actually going to do it. <laughs> and um, it yeah, was and that just... Would, you can't, the problem is, like, you can't do that. Can't do that that, that yeah. feels like a, like a very bad, like, 99 WCW pay-per-view swerve. I mean, that's exactly what would have happened on a very bad yeah, yes, WCW yeah. pay-per-view as someone who watched 99 <laughs> yes. Um. Because I was a WCW kid growing up. So, like, it's hard because then they kind of retconned it um, Wednesday. And they were they like... They did what they had to do, basically, in that situation, which is... Eddie Kingston was like, I had a panic attack, basically. And I was like, yeah. okay. I Well, that's when you have Eddie Kingston just, like, talk yourself out of anything. You can usually do that, so... Yeah, that's basically, honestly, what it felt like. They yeah. were just like, go go explain it. And no. he was like, okay. okay. And he did. I'm sure they didn't, like, script it out. They're no. just like, say what you want to say to make this make sense. He's like, okay. For sure. And it's it's fun that Kingston is in the main event scene because yeah. he, he's good. Uh, I guess we'll wrap on this. What were your thoughts on the cinematic Darby Allen sting? I got to say, I didn't I hate it as much as I thought it was going to. I and wish, this is... The one thing I wish is they, they either, they, the audio track was just too much. They needed to cut one element out of it. Yeah, there was a lot of noise. A lot of noise going on. And, like, honestly, it's, I'm, I'm the worst because Sting was, like, my dude growing up. Yeah, yeah, so sure. And I have... I'm going to have a soft spot for pretty much anything he does. Yeah. But honestly, I was going into it like this is going to suck. Like, yeah. like these matches are just I've only really seen the WWE ones and I've seen, you know, like so those were not good. So I know this movie came out when Darby Allen was like minus five years old. But I wish <laughs> they'd like leaned into the crow like. Oh, yeah. Imagery oh, and visuals yes. more like they could have done that. But it was just yeah, very much like Darby Allen production, which is fine. And like it wasn't even. And and like I was saying, it wasn't bad. Like I definitely sat there and was like, that was a cinematic match because if Sting does a real one, he might die. <laughs> yeah. So, like you, that's what you're gonna have to do with Sting. And it got along what it needed to get along. And Darby is like being with Sting is good for him, I think, because yeah. I am upset I didn't realize like at the beginning of the cinematic match when they had that like weird just like platform. In the middle yeah. of the warehouse, that like Darby was just going to do a diving elbow drop through it. Yeah, I was just like, "Oh, that's, that's weird, weird that that's there. <laughs> Why didn't they move that?" And then just didn't think about it. But um, that definitely sets up Darby with uh, I, I would assume Cage, right? For um, yeah, probably. Which is fine. I mean, like stuff. eventually Cage has to beat him for the title, and that's fine too. Like yeah, because then Darby could move up. Yeah, I'm assuming Darby will get a main event push at some point because I I like him a lot. I actually think he's good. So. And Cage could just mess around being TNT guy and beating people up. 
Jared is still chit-chatting me about his... He's in the sixth... Like, how do you go six rounds at a first-year player draft in this weird-ass... Uh, he's, he's drafting, like... They're going to have the full rounds for how many yeah. drafts there were. <laughs> how many rounds there were in the real draft. Yeah. Well, he's already got more than that. It's only a five-round uh, Oh, yeah, huh? That was... Some... That's funny. I can't get over that. All right, this feels like... Uh... Oh, Carson Fulmer found a new landing spot. Oh, nice. On the Reds. That seems like a good place to end if we're talking about Carson Fulmer, DFA Fulmer claims. Yeah. yeah, Fulmer, Carson Fulmer's on the Reds. And we'll see you next week for another <laughs> edition. And for all you kids out there. <laughs>